Corey Rosenberg came to me this morning uh, juggling about three or four cups of coffee, um, arms loaded with all kinds of things, and, and she felt it important enough to have this paper in the midst of them. And she asked me if I filled this out yet, and I said, no. Um, so I told her I would lead the congregation in repentance. For those of you who have not filled one of these out, um, I'm going to fill mine out today. This is a missions uh, survey form. And it is so important uh, to the body here, and I love um, the attention that's been given and the focus that is being uh, given towards um, looking outside of ourselves. And that's so much of what mission is. Um, and so I really want to encourage you, um, and I'm going to do this today as well, fill out one of these surveys, really help um, um, uh, help us uh, get a better feel for the congregation, where we're at, and, and how we feel about our mission uh, efforts here. I'm going to be in um, Luke chapter uh, 4 today. I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up there. Um, kind of a review of where we're at in the book of Luke. And you can probably tell by following the study so far. We're going to be in the book of Luke for a while. Um, but this is a very crucial point in our study of Luke because we're going to kind of switch gears. And and we're going to begin to sit at the feet of Christ. And, and I think this is the perfect lesson to kind of put us where we need to be and to put our hearts where we need to be in, in, in that endeavor. Jesus began his ministry um, by going to church. And not just by going to church, but here in Luke chapter 4, by going to church in his hometown, uh, going to church in Nazareth, going to the synagogues. And he went from synagogue to synagogue, and, and he was there as a participant. And he would be there, and he would be invited to different places, and he would speak. And we're going to talk about some of that in a minute. But this has been the theme of the book of Luke so far, the Holy Spirit. It's the theme of the book of Acts as well. Um, when it, whenever um, a new character is introduced in the book of Luke... Say it's Mary, say it's Elizabeth, John the Baptist, Simeon, Zechariah. All of these people that are introduced through the opening chapters of Luke, it says the same thing about every single one of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. It says that about every single character introduced so far. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth, filled with the Holy Spirit. In, in chapter 3, we saw the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus as a dove. And then it says he went into the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. And then he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. He went into Galilee. In the power of the Spirit. This is the theme of the book. This is gonna, it's gonna open it in a clear way. And so he opens by going to church. Um, he taught in their synagogues. Everyone praised him. Look at the reception that he's getting. Now this is gonna be important here in a second. This is his reception. They praised him. Man, that boy can speak. That's a good teacher. Man, that's Jesus. He's the carpenter's son. But look at him go. He kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is how uh, the chapter is going to end. So I want to talk to you a little bit about what the synagogue was. What early church was. Um, this is the closest example we have of what an early synagogue would have looked like. It's kind of a reconstructed model of the synagogue. Not terribly impressive, not a megachurch. They were usually quite small uh, edifices, but they were surrounded, and I'm going to kind of draw your attention to some details here. They were surrounded by these benches on the perimeter. All of them were. In fact, that's how archaeologists today identify a synagogue. They were the only buildings with benches around the perimeter. Um, and up, up front, you would see, and that's the front on the far end there, there are also benches on that end of it. How many of y'all remember growing up in church and there would be the podium here? Maybe you didn't grow up in a church like this, but I did. 
And then there were the seats over here and the seats over here. And they were kind of for the important people, but we were, I don't know if you went to a church where people sat in those seats. Occasionally we did, but it made me feel awkward. Those seats were very much a part of the early synagogue. Those seats that would sit with the speaker. Here's another picture of a, uh, uh, that's called the seat of Moses. Um, there would be a key seat at the front and surrounded by these benches to the sides. Um, this is one on, on a, a Grecian island, but an early synagogue, um, where the speaker would stand to read. And whenever the, there, whenever there was a prayer that was called the, um, the Amida, which is a 19 prayer blessing that you would open a synagogue service with, and you would open with prayers of adoration to God and prayers of thanksgiving, prayers for your forefathers, um, a prayer for the, the Christ to come, a prayer of repentance. But it was called the standing prayer, and you would stand for the prayer. And then the reading of scripture, and first you would read from the Torah, and you would stand for it. And then the speaker would sit down in the seat of Moses. And in other words, I'm representing now Moses. And then you would stand for the reading of the prophets. And you would sit down for the lecture. And so when you see this phrase, and he sat down, whether you're here in Luke 4 or if you're in the Sermon on the Mount, this is a, this is a statement of authority. Sitting down is not, hey, I'm done. I'm going to go relax now. Sitting down is, I'm taking authority now. I'm sitting in the seat of Moses. Um, and so this is an early version of the seat of Moses. Here's one of the earliest ones we found. Um, this is actually from a, a synagogue in Chorazin, um, this particular seat of Moses. And here in this writing at the bottom, it says, Remember for good Judah of Israel, and it's talking about a person here, not a community, who made this stoa, uh, and that means the building um, itself, and the staircase, and may he be rewarded and have a place with the righteous for this act. You know, that's, that's not something you would expect to see, but amongst that community, look, he built this church building, give him a place uh, amongst the righteous. But this is an early um, seat of Moses. In fact, how about this? Very possible, because this is from the very community that we're talking about today. Chorazin is just north of, of, of the communities that we're going to be talking about today. Possible Christ sat in the very seat. You know, it's possible Christ sat in this very place, the seat of Moses. And when he sits down, let's go ahead and get into our text here. He goes throughout Galilee, and good news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues. Everybody praised him. Inside the synagogue early on, now second century synagogue service, we have a lot of details about. We know what it was. First century synagogue service, we know very, very little. But we know that there was an attendant. We know that there was somebody who was kind of the, the, the chief over the synagogue. And we know that there were elders that were there. We know that the important people would sit around the perimeter. A lot of the people of station would sit there. And that other people would have mats on the floors. And, and they would stand again for the reading of scripture. And, and then they would sit down and you would listen to this person who was often invited to speak or assigned a reading. Um, and uh, let's go ahead and get into our text. Verse 16 says this, He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. 
The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. And I want you to just imagine the word of God standing in church reading the word of God. To sit at the feet of Christ as a preacher. And and the crazy thing is people rejected him. And he says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now he's reading from Isaiah 61. And both of these passages point back to this idea, and I'm not going to get caught up into it today, but the year of Jubilee, uh, taken from Leviticus 25, this, this idea that the Christ would come. And when they heard these words, I mean, amen. It's time. In fact, did you know that the synagogue services in their time ended with, with what's called the Kaddish? This is a quote from the Kaddish. May he give rain to his kingship in our lifetime. And in your days, may it come swiftly and soon. This idea of the Christ coming every synagogue service ended, come Lord Jesus soon. May the Christ come. This was the Kaddish. And here Christ stands and he says, today. Well, no, he doesn't say, I got it wrong. He sits down and he says, today. This has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, I don't know if that's just the introduction to the sermon or if that was the whole sermon. If that was the whole sermon, he, man, he got points for the shortest sermon in the world and for being so powerful. But he just says this, today it's fulfilled uh, in your hearing. It says this, and I want to talk about this word amazed here because this, this really hit me hard. It says this, everybody... Um, he rolls up the scroll, gives it back, says, Today it's fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Now what's crazy is this first Greek word up here, and it's crazy, uh, in the sound booth, we were loading these slides, and, and I had Seth and Joshua back there, and they recognized all of these letters as mathematical formulas. In fact, they almost gave me the answer. Um, but... but uh, this, this, first, this first word is the word that's used. It's translated in both occasions, both towards the end of this chapter in Capernaum and at the opening of this chapter in Nazareth. The same word is probably used in your Bible, amazed. But they're very different words in Greek. And this first word is what it says about them. Uh, Athumazon, it just, it, it just means this. They are, they're perplexed, shocked, and confused. Usually in Scripture, this is not really a great thing. It's not, wow, you did good. A lot of times it's like, what? Uh, sometimes it's good. It's the same way we would use the word shocked. Um, it, just, it just depends on the intonation of the, of the speaker. Um, I'm shocked that you said that today. Um, that would not be good. Um, I'm shocked you said that today. Um, I don't know if that would be good either. I, I can't say it right. But this idea of... of um, of amazed in this passage isn't necessarily a good thing. It usually um, communicates a level of confusion, um, uncertainty. Uh, 
about what's being said. Later, in Capernaum, it uses a different word. When it says they were amazed, it actually uses this word. Ek means knock, means out, and, and pleso means to punch. It literally says this, Christ's words knocked him out. Okay, punched him in the gut, hit him, conviction, I got you. That's always a good word in scripture. That's always followed by repentance. You got me, it hit me in the gut. These are the two reactions you have. And so even though our word is the same, probably in your Bible, amazed, it is a very different reaction. One is, I'm a little confused. And the other is, man, this really hit me. Um, Mark's account of this, and I just want to read chapter 6 of Mark, gives us a lot more information. Because in Luke's account, Christ seems very harsh with them after this sermon because they don't seem to have really done anything. But in Mark 6, it says this, Where did this man get these things, they asked What's the wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? This is Mark 6, 2 and 3. And his brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Man, they knew his family. They know his dad. They know his brothers. They know his sisters. They know all of these people. This is our homeboy, and, and I love it that you've come to church here, Jesus. I love it that you came to join us, and I'm so proud to see my son. I don't know if his family was in the audience or not. I get the impression they're not. I love to see you up there speaking. I love to see you up there. Pre- I hope you do good, but don't. Don't speak with authority. Don't stand up there and say something with authority to us. We know who you are. We know where you came from. And then Jesus responds by saying this, verse 23. Surely you'll quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years. And there, were sev- and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath. Now I want you to just call your mind back to the story of Elijah here. The reason he was sent to a widow in Zarephath is because everybody in Israel was wicked. Okay, They were all following uh, the Asheroth and the foreign gods in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. So you preached a powerful message, Christ. We heard what you said, but now you're speaking with authority, and we we know who you really are. And now you're going to make this application. Now, how would the Jews have wanted to hear Isaiah 61? Man, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's called me to proclaim Freedom uh, to preach good news to the poor. That's us, Christ. We've been living in the shadow of the Roman Empire. Send the Christ. He's, he's, he's called me to, to proclaim liberty for captives. That's us. Deliver us. And they considered themselves the victims. Isn't it amazing how when we hear a sermon or we read scripture, sometimes we misapply it to ourselves. We put ourselves in the shoes of the wrong people. And here it is, the Jews, and they're saying, thank you for this message, powerful message. And Christ says, yes, and that's why I'm going to the poor. 
And that's why I'm going to the hurting. And that's why I'm going to the blind. And that's why I'm going to the people that have not been filled with pride. Um, and immediately he's going to turn and he's going to focus attention somewhere else. Seth said in, a, in class this morning, I love that he closed his class with these words. When you have a personal connection to something, when you have a personal connection to it, you're more open to it. It hits you harder. You're able to appreciate the message a little bit more because there's something personal going on here. So who do you say that I am? It's a, Jesus, it's a question Jesus asked Peter. And who is Jesus to you? The reason this question is so crucial this morning is because you will respond to the message and hear it differently depending on what role you put Christ in in your life. Some of us will look at him, and I've, I've, these are just coming out of my mind because these are all the places I have been with Christ in my life. Um, unrealistic. One of many great counselors and advisors. In other words, you're a great person for getting a good quote from when I need a good quote. Foolish. A church marketing scheme. Here's one I've been guilty of more than any of them. You're a subject to study. I want to know more about you so I can talk more about you. You're a subject. But one of these matters and is is crucial to the context of the book of Luke. And I hope it means something to you this morning. Because they're going to leave this synagogue and he's going to leave with one message, authority. His message has authority in your life. Now I want you to hear a comment, I mean... Vanna made a comment in class this morning, and, and I'm, I'm just going to kind of, I have to, I have to mention it. Can you imagine the Jews coming out of captivity in Israel, in Egypt? And the command is this: I need you to put the door, the blood of the lamb on your doorposts, and I want you to eat your meal with your staff in your hand. And he gives all these specific instructions. This is what you're going to do because tonight I'm going to send my angel and he's going to pass over your home. Can you imagine some of the Jews in in Egypt saying, "Man, this is awesome. This is great news. I'm not going to put the blood on the doorpost because that's getting weird, and I'm not getting, I'm not into your ritual." But God knows my heart. Can, do you think any? Do you think a Jew in Egypt said that? And and yet, that's how we respond to baptism. And that's how we respond to repentance. And that's how we respond to clear commands in Scripture. I'm being real with you. That's how we respond to clear commands in Scripture. Man, that's good advice. That's good for some people. Uh, God knows my heart. You know, man, I'm going to tell you this. I don't care what we're in in Scripture. Scripture has power when you submit to its authority. When you finally just say, God, I'm giving you authority. You're the king. I'm not going to question you. I'm not going to use you as an advisor anymore. You are king. And when you do that in your life, the word takes root. It takes power. And that second Greek word knocks you out. It punches you in the stomach. It takes you and it takes control of your life. The question is, who is in control? Two people have held a knife to me in my life. Um, one was on a bus at 1 o'clock in the morning, and I pushed him off of me and I ran. The other was by a man who was a professional who was trying to take cancer out of my neck. Both people held a knife to me. One person I pushed away and the other person I yielded to. 
Why? Because there's something wrong with me. I have a massive scar back here now. There's something wrong with me that I can do nothing about. And I respect your authority. And I'm going to lay down and let you take a knife to my head while I'm wide awake. I'm going to do that because I respect your authority over me. And, and, and that, that saves lives. And so the question is where you put Jesus in your life. Where is he? Who is he? And how much have you yielded to him? I want you to pull out real quick with me. Do this with me. It's fun. Pull out your car keys or your, your keys. I want you to just hold these in your hand real quick. I don't know if you're like me. I'm pretty simple. I hate, I hate carrying keys. Um, I, I put them down all the time because I don't like them on me. You will never see me preach a sermon in my life with these keys on me. Except for today. I've got my King Supers card that's all torn up. I wonder if you're like me and you've got a key that you have no clue what it goes to. How many of y'all got a key? You have no clue what it goes to. Okay, it's about everybody. There's my key. I have no idea, but I'm scared to get rid of it. But here I got keys, and this represents something to me. Mike, you, I, you probably have a key that is your car. A key that represents your work, your office, and a key that represents your home. These keys to me represent something, and I want you to just think about this. These represent areas of my life. The key kind of represents my jurisdiction, my authority. That belongs to me. This is my area. I have at least enough authority over it that I have a key to it. And each of those keys represents something that I have control over in my life. And so my keys kind of represent that to me. And in my relationship with God, it can be summed up in each one of these keys. There is my home. And is Christ what influences my home? Or is he the Lord of my home? There's my office. Now, I work at a church, so I sure hope this is the case. Are you the Lord over my work and over my mind and over my heart and who I am during the week? Are you king? And there's my car, the places I go and what I choose to do with my time, how I choose to spend my money, what I'm doing in my life. And my favorite key is the key I don't know what it goes to. Because it's that area of my life that I have no clue what it is, but I have not yet yielded. I have not yet surrendered, surrendered to God. And I need to find out what it is. But listen, a walk in God is painful. Painful. When you have not yielded complete control to him. Because you're just being torn in two different directions. And there isn't a king on the throne. Um, my prayer this morning, and this is going to be so crucial going into these studies, because for the rest of the book of Luke, when we come together, we sit collectively at the feet of Christ. Two synagogues are spoken of in the book of, uh, book of Luke. A synagogue um, and Nazareth and a synagogue in Capernaum. The one responded with shock. I can't believe you did this, and then they went out to kill him. The other responded because they were hit in the gut. And what, what's the difference? It says they saw the authority that he spoke with, and they gave him that authority. The book of Luke will transform your life If you sit at his feet and say, I'm yielding authority to you. 
Because he's going to call us to do some things in the book of Luke, and you're going to catch some themes that are crazy challenging. And when we yield authority to him and say, God, my life belongs to you. I'm not going to question you. I'm going to do what you say. I'm going with this. The word of God then becomes powerful. Um, I pray that when we come to church, uh, we come to Meadowlark, and that's something that is a constant fear of mine, is, is I think about the way an early church service was and how the word of God was put up front above everything else. This is the word of God. And then the speaker would come and sit and humbly represent, this is what it means. But I pray that you would never, um, and I don't even like to talk about me, I'm, I'm not worthy to do any of this, but whether I do good or I do bad, the idea that we would come to a church service and be entertained. We come to come church service and say, man, that was inspiring or whatever other words we might use. My prayer is that somehow as a leadership, not just me, as a leadership, we don't get in the way of the word of God. And that we simply lift the word of God up and it has the power not to create shock, not to impress, but the power to punch somebody in the gut. The power to knock somebody out and the power to transform lives. When Jesus, uh, when God was speaking to Ezekiel the prophet, he said one of the most cutting things God could have ever said to a preacher. He says this in Ezekiel 33, verse 33. God speaking to Ezekiel says, hey, I need to talk to you real quick. Um, I want you to know what the people of the city are saying about you behind your back. He's like, oh, here we go. And he goes, God says, they like you. They really like you. He says this, your countrymen are talking together about you by the walls and at the doors of their houses saying to each other, come and hear a message that has come from the Lord. My people come to you as they usually do and they sit before you to listen to your words. But to them... You're nothing more than one who sings love songs in a beautiful, with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well. They love the way you sound, Ezekiel. They love your voice. You're a good teacher. But they don't put my words into practice. They don't take it in their heart and they don't care. Man, that is cutting. That's worse than saying you did a bad job. You did a good job but I don't care. So my prayer for us this morning is, uh, and I'm just going to kind of close this in this prayer, is that um, in this coming half year, uh, in this, this coming time where we're going to sit at the feet of Christ every week in the book of Luke, I pray that our, our hearts would be conditioned to give him the authority that he deserves in our lives. I pray that you as a family and as an individual would yield all authority to him. That when we sing, you are king of kings and lord of lords, and we say that to him, that we'll mean it and we'll think about every avenue of our, every aspect of our life that we need to yield to him. And the difference is going to be this. We're shocked by God, perplexed by God, or we're convicted 
by an all-powerful God. Let's, let's close in a prayer. Uh, Father, I just... Um, um, I, can't, I can't believe... I always think about this, God, that we're on the other side of the planet, standing in a place of, of freedom and confusion... Um, and God, that, that even, even as, as presenters of your word today, as preachers and teachers, for the most part, we don't, we don't seem to take your word as seriously as we should. And I, I ask God that you would, um, in churches this morning across the world, that you would convict your people that you are a very living and very active king. That your word has complete authority in our lives. That we would hear every command. That we would hear every word that comes from your mouth as life. And give you complete authority. And that you'd allow it to, to take the root in our gut and in our soul that it deserves. God, deliver us from putting you in a place where you are just another one of many advisors in our life. Um, and Father, I love you for the way you've spoken to me and the way you've spoken to this body. So much time later, so much distance separates us, but from the words of Christ in a small synagogue in Nazareth. I love you so much um, for setting captives free for continuing to open the eyes of the blinds. Uh, Father, for continuing to proclaim good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind. I praise you that we live in a perpetual jubilee by Jesus Christ. It's in him we come before you. Amen. Let's stand and worship.